Welcome to the Fremont Presbyterian Church Podcast. Here at Fremont, we create space for people to become lifelong followers of Jesus, and we relentlessly pursue His transformation of our neighborhood, our city, and the world. Here's today's message. Before I begin today, uh, I wonder how many of us in this moment in the service ever pause and think about what is about to happen. And what I mean is this, why do we read a story or passage from an ancient text and why do I then stand up and talk about it? We tell these stories and we trust that in the hearing of these stories we understand something more about God and ourselves in light of God. And then there's this bold claim that through the of these stories, the word of God, we can hear the voice of God speaking to us. I don't know how many of you are familiar with a, a, a confession written in the 1500s called the Second Helvetic Confession. I had to study about it in seminary. And it had a very bold line. It said that the preaching of the word of God is the word of God. I wonder how many of us really believe that. Think about that, that the God of the universe wants to speak to us in this moment. You've probably heard, many of you have probably heard a hundreds not thousands of sermons in your life. And preaching is an attempt to draw out meaning from these ancient texts, sometimes teach through them, ask questions of them, and bring application into our lives here and now. But let's be honest, sometimes we hear the idea of whether we get anything out of the sermon when somebody will say, maybe in your family, never you, right? I didn't get anything out of that sermon today. And that's okay. You can say that to me if you would like, and on a good day, I won't be offended. But I know that as you're sitting there, you come with your minds on different things, to-do lists and who knows what else. And we're not always fully present. But on those days that you may not have gotten anything out of this moment, one thing I have come, become convinced of is that somebody probably did. Because God is gracious like that. He longs to speak to us. So with all that in mind, listen to and for the word of God today. Your bulletin says we're beginning in verse 9, but I'm going to go back to verse 3 in 1 Kings 19, if you want to turn in your Bibles, a little bit of context. Right before this text, Elijah has confronted hundreds of prophets of a false god named Baal, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But there's a test on this mountain called Carmel. And there, Elijah sees the power and the fire of God descending and cons completely consuming what is on the altar of sacrifice and defeats the prophets of Baal. But 
King Ahab and Queen Jezebel because they have endorsed that form of worship, of the worship of Baal. They are not happy with the prophet Elijah. And Jezebel sends word to Elijah that his life will be taken from him and she will make sure of it. So we begin in verse three, and this is what Elijah does. It says that Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat. The journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left and now they are trying to kill me too. And the Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu son of Nimshi king over Israel. And anoint Elisha son of Shaphat from Abel-Maholah to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet, 
I reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. This is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God. We might say that the God that we have come to worship is a God who asks questions. From the very beginning of the book, the Bible, God asks Adam and Eve who go hiding, where are you? And here we see God asking Elijah twice, what are you doing here? Jesus will ask his disciples, who do people say that I am and who do you say that I am? And if you remember that tender story of Jesus with Peter on the seashore after his resurrection, asking him not once, not twice, but three times, do you love me? Our God is one who comes and asks us questions. Several years ago, I led our staff and our elders through this passage that I read from 1 Kings at a retreat and wrote on a post-it, what are you afraid of? Elijah was afraid. He was running for his life. I wrote underneath that, what are you doing here? That's the question Elijah is asked twice. And then under that, I wrote, what is God telling you to do? Elijah was given a new commission, a new task from the Lord. These are good questions to ask. What are we afraid of? What are we doing here? What is God telling us to do? They're good questions to ask ourselves in times of prayer, to ask one another in a small group, a mariner'ship, a, a, a friend, a coworker that you trust. One of the beautiful things I think that for us to really think about, to pause and step back and think about is that God invites us into a relationship with him through his questions. He wants us to think and talk with him have conversation with him. Now let's go to the text itself, the what of this passage. One of the things that I found interesting that I don't think I noticed before, but I was looking at this story again through the lens of this series that we are doing on being sent. What exactly was it that Elijah was sent to do? And because this is an ancient text, sometimes we have to look up, like, who are these people? Who are these kings? Who, where's Aram? What does this all mean? And I never noticed before that, that it's interesting, I think, in the text that Elijah is told to anoint a king from another land, a land that had been an enemy and would be later again to God's people, Israel. And Elijah is also told to anoint the next king for Israel. And then Elijah is told that he will have a successor, a prophet named Elisha. And it's important as you read through 1 Kings that in anointing Hazael, the king of Aram, Elijah is actually anointing a king 
who will be God's agent of judgment upon his people Israel from another country. And in anointing Jehu, Elijah is anointing a king who will be God's agent of judgment within his people. And in anointing Elisha, Elijah is commissioning another prophet who will carry on God's word, speak truth to Israel, and advise kings. Elijah is sent to anoint kings and prophets. God is involved in the raising up and the taking down of leaders. And what's interesting to note in those three people is that we must admit God's ways are not our ways. God sends those kings and prophets with a singular mission to call his people to be who they most truly are. God's people are to reflect the character and the heart and the love and the truth of God. And so by anointing these kings and prophets, God is calling his people out, judging them for abandoning God and worshiping idols. You see, all the people that Elijah is sent to anoint, Hazael, Jehu, and his successor Elisha, all of them are part of God's battle against a false god named Baal. And what we see in the Bible, we see a lot of territories and cities that worshiped a god of their region. There was a Baal of Lebanon, a Baal of Tyre, a Baal of Hermon, etc. But overarching was this belief in a Baal, the, the god of uh, the sun, a god of heaven, a god of fertility, a god of crops. And as we saw in earlier in 1 Kings, that Baal was worshipped sometimes through human sacrifice. Or priests slashing themselves with knives. So the anointing of these kings and the prophet Elisha would ensure that the campaign against that kind of worship would continue. One commentary said that, that the anointing of those kings and Elisha would ensure that battle against Baal worship would continue and that a faithful remnant of Yahweh, we learned about that last week, that is the great covenantal name that Lauren preached about and when Moses sees God in the burning bush, hears God in the burning bush and he reveals his name as the great I am, Yahweh is the Hebrew understanding of that name. But that a faithful remnant of I am worshipers would survive. So Elijah's commission here is not a small thing. It is about confronting the idols and tearing down worship of things that are false. There's a greater kingdom purpose that God was doing here and he sent Elijah to be a part of that vital kingdom purpose. Now, if Elijah was sent then to be a part of God's solution to defeat the idols of his time. Is it possible 
that God is still sending people now to do the same thing? Are there idols in our world today? Are there things that people worship that don't bring life? Is it possible that some of you, whatever station in life you are in, whatever job you might have, whatever job you used to have, whatever skills that God has given you in your life, is it possible that you can see that work as part of God's kingdom? As I began to think, I thought of teachers and professors that teach not only information but care for their students as people. I think of coaches and counselors and therapists who work to bring brokenness into the light and bring healing. Social workers and relief workers, doctors and nurses. People in business who can treat their fellow workers or employees as people and not simply a means to an end. Engineers who not only solve problems that make things more efficient, but better human lives. City planners who design beautiful spaces because they know that we are designed for beauty and purpose. And those are just a few. God still sends people to confront idols and tear down worship of things that are false. Secondly, God sends people to give purpose in the midst of darkness. God sends people to give purpose in the midst of darkness. One of the commentaries I was reading, the author Richard Nelson titles this story that we read today as Elijah burns out and is recommissioned. Kind of tells you it all, right? Elijah burns out and is recommissioned. And we see that in the story. It's interesting that that Elijah is sent to a particular place, though. It says that the Mount Horeb, this is also where Moses was commissioned. And when Moses was commissioned to set God's people free from physical slavery of the Egyptian empire, Elijah would be commissioned to set God's people free from the spiritual slavery of an empire of idols. Moses was called from the presence of fire and a burning bush. Elijah's call would be different. Elijah would be called out of a whisper. You ever wonder why? Why doesn't God show up in the same way all the time so we know that it's him? I wonder, and it's just me wondering, I wonder if Moses' doubt about setting a small people free from the empire of the Egyptians was about, his doubt about the whole commission was about having enough power. And so in the fire, He sees God. The miracles that God would give him in the presence of Pharaoh is about power. But we see here that Elijah has already seen God's power. When fire came down and consumed the, the altar, 
But God knows what Elijah needs. In this moment, personally, he needed to be cared for. The story that we read is this beautiful example of God, like a father, feeding Elijah, encouraging his rest, feeding him again, and then commissioning him to rise up with renewed strength to fulfill his calling. Now, many commentaries speak of the depression that Elijah was suffering, physically, emotionally, and spiritually exhausted. We see it in his words. He's fearful is for his life and he wants to die. Now, some of us may be aware that last month was Mental Health Awareness Month. And I would imagine that there are those among us that know what Elijah was feeling like. I have known what that feels like. In fact, it was out of despair as a teenager that God got my attention, invited me to discover him. And honestly, there's still much stigma, too much stigma about these kinds of feelings, deep emotions, though some of that has changed. But there's something hopeful, something that might be instructive for us, that any that have ever experienced that deep darkness of depression knows that sometimes it's a feeling of a lack of purpose. So God meets Elijah exactly where Elijah needs to be met. Rest, food, drink. But then gives him new purpose. It's the recommissioning of God, a new purpose that pulls Elijah out of darkness and into the light. God sends Elijah with a new purpose. And we do not hear Elijah again in the chapters that remain, despair like he does here. Because God has given him something new to do. When we stop and think about it, there are echoes of this story throughout the Bible. Some of the stories that we've already looked at so far, have you noticed this recurring theme of, of people wondering if they're really the right ones to go? That's instructive for any of us that doubt whether we have anything to offer the work of God's kingdom, small or large. It's instructive for us to know that our friends are contained within these pages, for they too doubt it whether they had what it took to fulfill this call. I was reminded of someone else in the Bible who, like Elijah, seemed to be filled with deep, deep sorrow, asking the Lord, apparently, to take his commission away. place was different. It was at the foot of a mountain in a garden. 
And this man said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said. And then the text reads that going a little farther, this man fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. Does this sound familiar now? The Son of Man, the Son of God, Jesus, overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, it said. The Gospel of Luke records in this instance, just like Elijah, that an angel came to strengthen him. But he was still in such anguish that his tears and his sweat fell like drops of blood. Jesus suffered. And before this suffering, he said, take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but your will be done. So friends, may this be our encouragement. Jesus felt what we sometimes feel. If any of you feel that someone else should go, but thanks be to God, thanks be to God that Jesus went through what none of us could do, suffered on our behalf and rose again. And now, just like God did in the time of Elijah, a remnant remains in this world a people of the way of Jesus, a people following Jesus. And the task is still the same, to confront the idols of the world, to preach and proclaim there is a God who is real and true, and our message is one of forgiveness, reconciliation, peace, truth, and the love of God. Will you please pray with me? Our gracious God, we thank you for your words. The text we have read, read, read today is written in a different time, in a different culture, in a different context. But truth still speaks to us through it. Lord, you know that we question whether we are truly the ones who can be sent. So would you grant us courage, grant us boldness for any of us that find ourselves in a place of despair, renew our purpose, strengthen us with your power and may we speak and live in such a way that shows all around us there is another way. It is the way of Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. 
You've been listening to the Fremont Presbyterian Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit fremontpress.org. We'd love for you to join us on Sunday mornings. Our service times are 9 a.m. in the sanctuary for classic worship and 10.30 a.m. in the Community Life Center for modern worship. You can catch the live stream of both services at fremontpress.org. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast to get the latest episode each week. Thanks for listening.